0: Hi and welcome to episode three of the Flying Tortuga Brothers with Carl and Shannon. I'm Carl and I'm Shannon. (laughs) We're having a busy week this week or actually a busy couple of weeks here at the Flying Tortuga Brothers and we haven't had a chance to record so we're happy to sit down finally and get to talk to y'all. We have a guest lined up for next week's episode. We're going to take a trek across the state we're going to road trip to venice florida to the studios and dark room of the legendary clyde butcher and sit down with him for an interview
1: how amazing is this opportunity
0: i'm really psyched that we got clyde as our first interview i can't tell
1: you how happy i am about that i've been a fan since like the mid 90s so yeah it's gonna be crazy
0: that's gonna be one of those um bucket list moments for both of us.
1: Once in a lifetime for sure. I'm
0: really excited and that will probably end up being a really long interview where we'll post the regular episode and an uncut interview episode afterwards. Oh like
1: a double album.
0: Exactly like a double live. (laughs) Awesome. So uh, Shannon let's uh, dig right in. It's been a few weeks since our last episode. Uh, We actually haven't had a whole lot of Together time, which has been weird the last few months, we've been hanging out a lot. But then the last couple of weeks, we've both had different directions
1: we've had to take.
0: So, fill me in on what's going on with
1: you. Well, uh, it's been a, it's been a crazy uh, couple of weeks, like you say. Um, after the cultural council show, I have been uh, doing some was a painter on Palm Beach for many years, um, doing mostly faux finishes and murals. So um, I've been painting some friends' houses for them, doing those kind of jobs. And I have uh, some work to look at in Palm Beach for uh, next week. But, um, yeah, keeping myself—trying to make money make ends meet.
0: The life of a real artist, folks. Take away (laughs) all of the romance you have about what being an artist is like. It's the, you take what jobs you can get, and sometimes it's painting a house, and sometimes it's painting a door. It's whatever comes your
1: way. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so I will be uh, back on the beach in the next couple of weeks doing my landscape paintings. Um, but I'm still writing. Um, doing that at the house. Playing with some pen and ink. I'm doing... Thinking about uh, some pen and ink things with watercolor or pen and ink with thinned down acrylics. So,
0: Oh, cool. I haven't seen any of that from you. I'm looking forward to seeing some of that. Yeah.
1: New technique. Um, I won't invest too much in it. And I'm just playing with it, but you have to expand your horizons constantly. So,
0: Yeah, you always have to. It's just one of those things that you can't settle on being comfortable for too long. You're, you start to get the itch to do something else. I have that all the time. Yeah,
1: yeah, that's what's going on with me. Still writing my poetry, watching lots of documentaries. The most recent things are uh, T.S. Eliot and some environmental documentaries I've been watching, which are really interesting. Yeah. So, but I'm when you called me with that news that we were going to go out to Butcher's Studio in Venice, I was floored. You know, I mean, I it's like getting to meet Ansel Adams or someone that is that amazing. I mean
0: yeah no you're exactly right and i mean the legacy and the the heritage is the lineage is right there i mean you think about um landscape photographers in america and sure ansel adams comes to mind here as a floridian after three years i'm just going to call myself a floridian and you've been here your whole life so pretty much yeah clyde carved out a world for landscape photography in the everglades and being a champion for the everglades and the environment and we are i'm just besides myself giddy with being able to talk to him
1: and then he actually stretches his wings too you know he gets outside of Florida you've seen his pictures in the in the West out west and
0: well oh, that's right we were both looking at his national parks book and that was really cool quite astounding
1: yeah and that that's the thing yeah so that's what's going to make this interview so great is because he's got sort of a a national parks history and he's been to probably more national parks than we have
0: absolutely and he has done an artist in residence at least one for the national park system so we're going to pick his brain on you know what's the best way to get to the front of the line on that process which is what this podcast and everything we're doing for the next year is all about yes it's a cheap shop but we'll take it Hey, any shot that can get us in the door is one I'm willing to take. So
1: yeah, I think uh, sitting down with him and you know hearing what he has to say about um, the creative process and you know he is at this point uh, he's pretty much made as an artist. I mean he he he's reached the plateau of what we all aim for and strive for, and I think that'll be interesting as young artists to actually see the process and, and hear from him what the pitfalls were or how he actually approached um, success because it's, you know, it's it's a double-edged sword for sure.
0: It is. And also that, you know, that there is a, a value to the grinding out that we have to do, you know, that day in and day out we do this stuff without a whole lot of recognition for it sometimes and that there is a, you know, a place to get to, a next Step on the ladder, and uh, you know he's he's going to be an interesting talk too because he's had to reinvent himself as a photographer because you know here's a guy that was dragging a twelve by twenty inch view camera around in a canoe through every river in Florida and getting his shots that way. He has suffered a couple of strokes and has managed to work his way very hard back from that and is still shooting and you know along the parallels of the same timeline I think he started the digital a little bit before but he's had to reinvent you know how he shoots by shooting digitally and coming up with a digital process that works for him that still gives him the quality output that he was making in the 70s and 80s with a giant view camera and that's that's a lot to ask from digital photography but he's managed to find his way to that and I'm really looking forward to talking about that plus
1: we're going to be in his dark room. I know that's going to be crazy to what you were saying. You know, it's funny because, um, someone once asked Hemingway, they said, you know, what kind of typewriter do you use? And Hemingway was sort of put off by that. And he said, what does it matter? What typewriter I use? If I use a Remington or a Royal, right, it's still coming from the same person. You know, it's my voice, you know, it's just, so, um, Half the learning curve was there for him. I mean, he's got the vision. He's got the eye for sure. And Um,
0: understanding how to get a good exposure. You're absolutely right. And photographers have this joke. The photographer that goes to the dinner party and has sold, I love your photography. You must have a really great camera who turns around and compliments the host and says, I really love dinner. You must have some really great pots and pans. That's amazing. Yeah, I haven't heard that joke before. That's funny. It's pretty witty. And I know it's been credited to Clyde. It, it may be before him. It may be after. But I know I've he's at least said something like that before.
1: Oh, I didn't know that. OK, cool.
0: It's uh, you know, one of those things you can find on the internet. Memes are everywhere. That's true. Uh, so we have that going on. We're, that's going to be Wednesday. And we'll be uh, putting up the podcast on Thursday. What have I been working on? You asked?
1: I did. What have you been up to?
0: (laughs) So today I dropped off a piece. Unfortunately, the gallery that I've been showing my work at is closing for the season and is going to reopen in November in a new location. So I've had to take back a lot of my work. And one of the larger pieces that was done at the Pride Parade, the Palm Beach Pride Parade here in Lake Worth in 2017, a 30 by 40 digital painting, uh, my wife Wendy had the great idea of saying, hey, why don't you see if uh, Compass would like to have it in their center.
1: It's gonna be perfect. Absolutely perfect. And I saw the pictures that you dropped it off today um, that you posted on the internet. They know each person in the picture is going to be even better when they walk in and they see that there. It's just going to blow them away.
0: Yeah, it's, it's really cool. So the painting is called Everyday Heroes and all four of the subjects, while it's kind of loose and you can't really recognize them, they're all four are wearing american flag capes that are in rainbow colors and i thought it was just perfect and i called it everyday heroes which actually turns out to be the name of their bike team that did the miami to palm beach bike ride that year so everything just kind of fell in place with that they're thrilled to have it and i'll be sitting down to talk to julie siever the executive director at compass next week to interview her for the
1: i am lake worth podcast She's very sweet. I've, I I met her once at the Cultural Council. Yeah, very. Mm-hmm. Lo- she's a lovely lady.
0: I like her a lot, and it's going to be a fun conversation. What else have I been working on? Um, I've been lining up people for both podcasts. And also, all through the years, all of my artistic career, in one way or another, I've always felt that my my weakest point has always been figures and faces, whether it was in drawing or painting. So for the last... Uh, four weeks and I'm heading into my fifth week. I've been going to open studio up at the new studio in Jupiter on Friday afternoons and um, drawing a live model. And boy, week to week, I'm just i so thrilled with the progress. I'm starting to get really comfortable with the human form and I can't wait to start adding that to more and more of my work.
1: Yeah. uh, People don't realize how much drawing really plays a part in um, visualizing your work before you start. It's the armature of anything you do. So Well,
0: I became a photographer because I didn't think I could draw well enough. So that's how I became a photographer.
1: (laughs) I think you're doing really well. You're off to a good start for sure. Well, thanks. Um, The watercolors that you you did that have a lot of um, structural elements to them are absolutely beautiful that you did before you moved to Florida.
0: In that case, whether it's architectural or still life, where I can really have time to work on the shapes, it's always been... I found a way to make that work. It's always been trying to do drawing people from life that I've always been intimidated by. And I'm starting to get the proportions and the feel. The last week definitely was really one of my better weeks. and I'm looking forward to tomorrow
1: and seeing what I can come up with. I've noticed that the old masters, when, when you look at their work, the foliage was a problem for them. So, of, of course, faces and figures, um, eyes especially on faces. Um, one is usually bigger than the other or um, looks like someone is... Melting on one side. That was my biggest problem when I was, when I first started drawing. Was um, I would get so upset because the face wasn't sort of centered or it wasn't balanced. Well, I think
0: the first one that I sent you after last week's class, the drawing looked like I was taking off in the right direction, and I started painting it, and I'm like, oh no, what happened? <laughs> Which well, I, I didn't share with anybody,
1: but it it can happen, and you know, you learn from it. There's a certain amount of bravery with taking the chance to actually learn the process of drawing first before you start painting. So uh, that's the thing with art. I mean, if you don't take the chance, you never learn. And if you, it's like, if you're scared of a bike, you never get on it. You never learn how to ride.
0: Well, that was, that's absolutely true. And I know from my early experiences that that was, I always went for what worked for me easily. And it's only now later that I, have developed some success in other areas of art that I'm not afraid to fail and that I'm willing to make the disasters in order to figure out what's going on and how to make it all work in the long run.
1: It's kind of like losing your vision, you know? Whenever uh, I realized I needed readers all of a sudden, it kind of happened overnight. Unfortunately, having had two detached retinas, I know exactly what you're talking about. You can imagine my surprise when one day... Um, I had been tracing everything, and then I just started painting directly onto uh, onto my um, substrate. Like I don't draw anything and just go straight to painting now, without sketching anything. I never thought in my wildest dreams I would get to a spot where I did. I felt comfortable enough to just start painting and not uh, not draw everything first or or trace things because that's how I started, really.
0: Yeah, and I think that's the point that I'm at because I'm doing the drawing work on an iPad using Procreate. So the first thing I do with the model is take a photo so that no matter what happens, I can at least get back to there and review the drawing if I need to. But I'm trying to just put tick marks down at this point for proportions and then turning off the photo and looking at the model. So I have a ways to go, but at least I feel like every week I'm making progress.
1: Yeah, I mean, and even doing plein air paintings, you always take a, of a photo because the clouds change so quick in the light so you have a reference photo that you can get back to
0: yeah and there's a thing that i have that if you look at my watercolor sketchbooks there is some uh, some of them i feel are sloppy which is why i don't generally show them but there's a looseness and a magic to them that i've never been able to get when i start making the same painting in a larger size in the studio i like painting from life um especially in watercolor i really really like that and it's 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 you know i equate that one to mastering the bagpipes it's not something you're ever going to do it's just something you have to kind of live with
1: the consequences i'm, I'm kind of leery about that now um so before uh plein air uh in Del Rey a couple of years ago i went down and scouted locations and i did a couple of studies um The funny thing is the studies turned out so much better than the actual paintings I did during the Plain Air Festival, Plain Fun Fest in Del Rey.
0: There's no pressure when you're at that point. You know, you're just, I want to get the color right. I want to get the feel right. I don't care if it's straight. And in the end, what comes out of you is pure emotion. And they're oftentimes much better than, at least for me, what I can do in a finished still life or anything. Just catch that gesture. When you get that gesture right, it's everything.
1: You're so right absolutely you're just freer
0: yeah absolutely freer and you know it's a at that point it's a piece of paper you haven't you haven't really invested anything in it your reputation isn't on the line with it so it's a whole different ball game and those are just like in my pencil sketchbook i like some of those where i'm just kind of doodling without thinking about what i'm doing i like where they take me sometimes rather than
1: some of the planned stuff so imagine how a deserted island and just the two of us is going to catapult your creativity because you won't have anything to do but draw or take photographs or make the documentary. So, or,
0: or possibly feed ourselves or perhaps mend a broken bone or who knows what will happen. But will, yeah, you're right.
1: Those, those will be secondary.
0: Those will be the great after stories.
1: <laughs> For sure. For sure. You remember when that hurricane came through? and <laughs> Well, hopefully not on our trip. It's happened, I think, twice um, to residents on the island.
0: Yeah, I know last year or the year before that they were evacuated out to Key West, and they did come back and after like a week and a half spend out the rest of their time on the island. So kudos to them for doing that. And actually, I hope that they are uh, some of our next guests, too. I've too. actually reached I out to too. them.
1: Yeah, we need that for sure.
0: We want that experience. We want to get every leg up we can.
1: Yeah, just to get the provisions off and then come back and start over. I mean, that is resilience. That is what we're talking about.
0: And they obviously knew from having to do it twice what was important to bring and what wasn't. So those are brains we want to pick so that when we actually get to the island in 2020, God willing, that we will be ready and we will be able to do nothing but enjoy creating art because we'll have thought of everything.
1: Yes, I'm excited about it. Just having that free time to spend uh, each day, sort of getting uh, into—I think a a large part of the creative process is actually getting into the zen of it, which actually means getting into a timing and um, it'll be sure
0: the routine of the day, the muda, the work, all of it.
1: And we were talking earlier, um, sort of about our the way we grew up and our past, and your father and um, sort of my grandmother. And how we identify with sort of an older generation, even than even older than our own, which was a slower, it was a slower time.
0: Well, sure. I mean, when my dad didn't want to get contacted by work when he was on vacation, it meant he duct taped the receiver of the phone down. That's how we didn't get called into work. But
1: I, I think we're going to find like that sort of new repetition that will, it will actually open something in us and we will evolve in a in a creative way that way.
0: Yeah, I'm really looking forward to that. And the, I don't consider not getting accepted for 2019 as a defeat. It was the gauntlet being thrown down for us to get it right in 2020.
1: Well, we definitely uh, threw everything we had at it in 24 hours. That's, I mean, we didn't have a lot of time when we realized it was there.
0: Well, I think you had known a little bit longer that it had existed, but you were scrambling around looking for people who were crazy enough and had the time to actually do something like that, and. Here I came along, like, yeah, sure, what the heck, I'll give it a try.
1: Yeah, (laughs) you're definitely the last rose on the the vine, and the season's over for roses, you know, we're headed into winter.
0: The the last of the low-hanging fruit.
1: Yep, but I found you.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And hence we are the Flying Tortuga Brothers.
1: Here we are. I have,
0: let's see, at this point, I have about ten poems that you have sent me, and I bet you have about that many more that you haven't sent over yet. Are there any you want to uh, read for the audience this week?
1: Um, I'd love to read another poem for the audience this week. Keep things motoring on.
0: Well, then I'm going to stand back and let everyone be wowed with the poetry of Shannon Torrance.
1: Okay. Um, this poem's called The Dotted Shade of Long Key. Um, Long Key is in Key West, and it's one of the first outposts that uh, Flagler sort of set up for fishermen to bring him down um, when he was building his overseas railroad. <clears throat> so it's The Dotted Shade of Long Key. He had been friends when he, was a young, when he was younger than I to a gentleman who was mentored by Pearl Zane Gray, the writer who was one of the first visitors to Long Key Fish Camp in 1908. They had barracuda for dinner by lantern light, walked the white strip of sand when they were not fishing, It wasn't all so serious, what they spoke about, but some of it was. Those evenings, the ocean was a flash of tarpon silver under a full moon. Now you have to understand, Shannon Don said, a man who would come to give me the best advice of my life, everyone who has ever come down the peninsula has done so with a purpose, what was to be the American riv- Riviera that really hasn't panned out? Flagler came for his legacy. Audubon found it for the birds. Capone for bootleg liquor. He lifted his sweating glass of vodka, ice, and cranberry from the driftwood of the and bamboo bar. Time to exercise the slippery slope—a clause he had invented for himself having been a very successful civil rights attorney. He calls to the barmaid, Megan, he looks like Hemingway to me, not as he did when representing the Pueblo and the Navajo nations. A string of trout at his side, clad in in a buckskinned fringe jacket. I see him now smelling like a day of fishing the salt flats talking Florida and philosophy with Jim Harrison and Richard Brodigan, swinging in the cool afternoon shade of a Key West porch in the mid-70s. Whilst all could touch one another, whilst all was still possible, Florida at their feet, still then a mystical place. I never stood a chance being a native, I think to myself. Balmy summer nights walking through screen doors into gilded-age kitchens, blessed by threadbare hands of fate. My experiences like the dotted shade of coconut palms on Long Key during the grueling summer days. That poem's for my friend Don, who passed away last year.
0: I got to tell you, Shannon, you have a time machine built into your poetry, man. When you start talking about Florida and you start talking about the Florida that was and didn't quite become, you know, you really strike a chord that is not just for Floridians, but it is really just so perfect. I can't wait to see how these poems develop and what happens next with them. Thank you.
1: They're fun, that's for sure.
0: And I think with that, that's a great way to end our third episode. And remember to tune in to episode number four, where our guest will be the great Clyde Butcher. Yes. On that note, we are going to sign out. Have a great week, everybody.